out uh, today, we will have some of our Burmese family with us and also some of our Chinese uh, worshippers. Just a moment to consider that our Burmese brothers and sisters are engaged in some uh, pretty traumatic understandings of their homeland. Uh, Things are not so good in Myanmar, and uh, we recognise that as a family of God, as we've just spoken about our interns, as a family of God, we, we need to really pray with and for our Burmese community, and, and I want to do that on your behalf. But I want to invite you to also uh, step in, step in the gap. Uh, there's family that are troubled and concerned, seemingly a far-off place, uh, but no one is far off when it comes to prayer. True? No one's far off when it comes to us uh, practically loving, and we thank you for the, the many people uh, in this uh, community of believers that reach out to our multicultural groups. Uh, cross-cultural ministry at Northreach is very, very important to us. Uh, but it's only cross-cultural in as much as it's a way of identifying uh, because we are all one body in Christ Jesus. Shall I pray for you and with you? Lord God, we want to Thank you for the, uh, the miracle of unity. I want to thank you for uh, the endorsement of your spirit, uh, Lord, that you bind us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we recognise that there is uh, political hurt and suffering. And, uh, Lord, we, we are aware that the military has risen up and uh, there are villages, there are families that are under persecution at this point in time. There are thousands of uh, people that have died in recent times and there are hundreds of thousands of uh, displaced people. Lord, would you just care for them? We thank you for the UN and for the very, very many uh, Christian organisations and and ways of uh, just enfolding these people and, and offering support. Lord, if there's lines of communication that need to be opened, if there's Lines of travel need to be opened so that food supplies and and necessary living supplies uh, can get through. We pray that you you help in the uh, providing intervention. We pray by your spirit, Lord, that the right people go to the right places uh, to fill this need. Lord God, we uh, pray for our families here in Townsville that you would guard them, that you would guide them, that you would bind them together, that you would uh, make it known to them that we care for them and we love them and we want to see them doing well. Uh, Lord, care for them as they try to reach out to people in their homeland. We pray these things in the wonderful name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Our elders... Myself and others uh, headed away last weekend. You might have noticed that we weren't here, uh, but Pierre and the team did a wonderful job leading you. Uh, That's fantastic, but I was just away partying, okay? Um, You know the elders, so you know that that would be quite a party. (laughs) Uh, Friday night and Saturday, 
and really we we had a lot of discussion. Basically, I think we said 10 o'clock, 10 p.m., because look at me, right, 10 p.m., that's it. I can't do any later on Friday night. Uh, but we got up early, early breakfast on Saturday, and the whole day, really, of just connecting together, just getting to know each other, uh, being honest, and uh, first opportunity for me, because last year, of course, we couldn't do this, uh, and for 2021, a great way for uh, the leaders of our church just to come together, get to know each other, and uh, I guess in layman's terms, be on a similar page, be on the same page about what it is that God has called us to be and to do. And of course, we reflected on our church, and as we do that, what an encouraging story that is. What a, what a wonderful opportunity uh, we have here in Townsville. So Northreach, our, our purpose, our, um, our mission is to be God's people, to follow Jesus and to reach others, uh, to reach people. So I, I feel like this was a wonderful opportunity for me and for Tracy to be with your leaders and to begin to uh, have another level or another stage of stepping into what the vision of the church is. So continue to pray for us as we will continue uh, to pray for you. Now, I can think of a few things that I've done over the years that are not so smart. Now, Tracy was here in the 8.30 service. I had to be very careful because her list of those things is a lot longer than mine. Uh, and she has the comprehensive list of things that I've done that are not smart. Um, mine is a shorter list, but it's got some really weird stuff on it. I um, This is not my story, but I read just this week about a couple who decided to build a dream house. The problem was they accidentally constructed a $650,000 house on the lot next door to one the one that they owned. So can you imagine completion? You get to hand over the keys and you actually come and you arrive and you say, well, neighbours, here's your house. <laughs> uh, not real smart, right? <laughs> not, not an encouraging thing to do, perhaps. In a similar story, I, I read of a developer mistakenly built a $1.8 million house on Crown Land. Uh, that went to VCAT and uh, the VCAT hearing ordered that the house be removed from the Crown land. So that's a massive waste of money. The learned outcome. When you build a home, uh, better be sure you build it in the right place on the right land. Uh, the lesson for you and me, in a nutshell, life. Life is full of costly errors, costly mistakes, and we ought to do our best to minimise the cost of the mistakes and perhaps to avoid them altogether if we can. Life's full of stuff we do that if we uh, had the opportunity, we wouldn't go back and do that again. Now, if you would turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon gives us a different kind of lesson in chapter 5. He's effectively saying, if you're going to worship God, better make sure you do it the right way. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to worship God. Solomon says in the first couple of verses, 
guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So in Ecclesiastes 5 and verses 1 and 2, he goes on, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. So here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in these first couple of verses, Solomon's saying there's a right way and there's a wrong way to worship God. The right way is that of wise people and the wrong way is that of fools. So because I can't help myself, right, the inquisitive mind thing, I have to ask, what's the wrong way to worship? So I'm interested in both the historical, but also what's this mean to me? What's this mean to us? In the context of Solomon's experience, but also in the context of the now, because I, I have a belief that everything that's in Scripture was purposeful at the time and the moment that it was written and made available for learning. There's instructions all through the Word of God. It's God's love letter to us, but it's also God's instruction on how to live with hope and joy. So the Word of God is has a purpose. And as Solomon was writing these things, it would have been appropriate for people of the day to read them and to learn from them. But Here's my belief. It doesn't stop there. What Solomon wrote is good for us in our context now, that it is just as appropriate today as it ever was. And and part of the skill or part of the learning and part of what God gives us by the Spirit is the enabling to connect with the truth and find out what it's saying to us in our context today. What's the wrong way to worship God? What is the way of fools? And from the first two verses of chapter 5, Solomon provides his insights and he tells us that fools, and I've got three dot points in my notes here. Uh, the first one is don't, fools don't actually know that they are shallow and wrong in worship. And I see that in the last part of verse 1 there. My second dot point is they're quick and hasty in what they say. In other words, they talk without thinking. And that's the first part of verse 2. And then uh, my third one is they say a lot, but they have low accountability for what they say. And in other parts of the scripture, that sort of connects that um, fools are, are hypocrites. Solomon very clearly says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God and we will look more and more at our heart. Whilst it's not specifically in the text, I see that our heart and our head and and our passion and our desire is connected with our attitude when we go to the house of God. A couple of weeks ago, we said we should love God with our whole heart. And this week again, 
we're going to say we should love God with our whole heart. Now, I don't want to worship God like a fool. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't either. So that's kind of our level playing ground to begin. But I do want to know what a fool's worship looks like because that way I can avoid going there. And what caught my attention in these verses was that Solomon said, fools don't know what they do. They don't know what they do wrong. Fools don't know what they do wrong in worship. The inference here is that you could be a foolish worshipper and not even know it. Solomon says, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. And in uh, this fifth chapter of Ecclesiastes, the second part of verse uh, 1, what could a fool do in worship that would be wrong? And I feel like we need to dig into this a little bit because Solomon had something in his mind to write that. He had some understanding. And firstly, there's an account of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of the first high priest Aaron. So the background is, as sons of the priest, they had tasks to achieve in the tabernacle. And one of those was to offer incense to God at the altar of the incense in the tabernacle. Now, God's instructions around this, as God's instructions in all aspects of temple and tabernacle worship, were really specific. So they knew what was expected. There was no doubt in their minds on what the instructions were. That's the place we start in terms of understanding this. There was a right way and a wrong way on how you should offer that incense. But these boys couldn't be bothered by the details. They didn't think it mattered how they did it. Now, I've already mentioned that uh, Tracy was in the 8.30 service, and I was careful then, as I will be now. Are there any good pancake makers here today? Come on, be honest. Yep, we've got, yeah, okay, self-acknowledged. Is there people sitting near you who would testify that that's true? Yeah, so that's me. I am most definitely not the pancake maker. However, I'm not so bad at pouring in the batter and flipping them over. You know, you see the bubbles come to the top and it's good to go, you flip it over. Uh, that's the easy bit. Because the hard bit is following the recipe. And that's where I tend to fail. Uh, you see, Tracy has a simple two by two by two recipe, which seems to be fail proof if you follow the instructions. Uh, oh man. When Trace says, do you want pancakes? I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be a good idea. Inside I'm going, <laughs> Yep, I'm up for that. Because I basically know there's going to be strawberries, there'll be cream, there's, you know, some other stuff you can smear on it. I love the pancakes. But if you don't follow the recipe, 
you can't guarantee the outcome. Pretty simple. And we all know it. I don't want to worship like a fool. And I don't want to be guilty of creating doorstops instead of awesome pancakes. So I need to follow the instructions. These sons of the priest thought they could improve on the things of God. That was actually what got their heart, right? They've been doing it the right way and then they decided, oh, we just do it our way. But they were wrong. And in Leviticus 10 and verse 2, it tells us, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu offered the sacrifice of fools. They failed to follow the instructions carefully and did things their own way, and ultimately they did what was wrong, and they died. Now there's the story also of King Uzziah, and this story is in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. King Uzziah began as a reasonably righteous king, but as time went by, he got caught up in the power and the success of kingship. And he decided he was more important or important enough and no longer needed the priests to lead in worship for him. He decided he could go straight into the temple, make an offer of incense at the temple uh, altar on his own. He thought he could do his worship his way. And he didn't follow the instructions and did worship differently instead of how God had commanded he was wrong and Azariah confronted him with this so in 2 Kings 15 and verse 5 the Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died Uzziah offered the sacrifice of fools he did what was wrong and he had to live with and eventually died with leprosy and another example is King Manasseh now, King Manasseh failed to even start well. Pretty much from the beginning of his rule, he did all kinds of bad things. So just one of the relatively simple things that he got wrong was to rearrange the furniture at the temple. And this led him tragically and stupidly replacing the altar of sacrifice with a pagan altar. Now, there were lots of uh, opportunities to do what was wrong in worship during these times. But God's instructions were really clear, remember? And here Manasseh decides he is greater, he is king, he will do things his way. And even worse than replacing the altar with a pagan altar, he offered up his son as a burnt offering to one of those pagan gods. You know, right there I'm thinking, on the background of those other two examples... Uh, Manasseh, you're out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's a bridge too far right there. You're a goner. He did the wrong thing, and this was wrong worship. But here is the beautiful part of this story. Hear this. Manasseh repented of every time, every time, 
he went away from the Lord's instructions and God forgave him. He genuinely repented of every wrongdoing that he knew that he had done. Repentance is a very powerful action. It's a gift. And when there is true repentance, I want to say to you, here's a fact. God can't help himself but forgive. Did you hear that in context? When there is true repentance, God can't help himself but forgive. I could put that another way. When there is true repentance, God will forgive. Because God is God and God is ordered and God lays out his instructions, but he lays out his love for his family in saying that when you repent, I will forgive. It's beautiful. And even in the context of Manasseh, with what Manasseh had done when he repented, God was forgiving So if we've strayed in some way, we totally need to repent. And there's a guarantee that God will forgive. However, this wrong worship didn't go without a consequence. So for Manasseh, there's forgiveness. That's an absolute. And and we can totally rely on God to honour his promise to us. But there was a consequence. Forgiveness is real, but sometimes we forget that there are consequences and that may mean some hardship, some working through things with God's help. And I'm not sure how we can expect to get off scot-free when there's been sin in the camp. I'm not sure how we can actually expect that God uh, just throws out all of what's happened. Remember King David? We, in our last series, we looked at King David, who this is Solomon, I believe, who's writing this from wisdom literature. Uh, King David sinned, he confessed, he repented, and uh, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Praise God, yeah? Uh, but one of David's longings was to see the temple built. Now, he got all the stuff ready, but he never got to see the temple built. There was a consequence to his sin. And whilst forgiveness was real, it was Solomon who saw the temple built. You know that story, right? In 2 Kings 23 and 26, we read, The Lord's fierce anger burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. Manasseh had offered the sacrifice of fools. He did what was wrong and it damaged his nation. He had irresponsibly been leading the nation into false worship and there was no way of pulling him back out of that heresy. And there was a heavy consequence. So one of the aspects of the worship of fools is about doing things in their own way. Fools tend to have 
believe that what they do is right. Maybe leaning towards preferences. In biblical history, when people decide that they've got a right to change things, God says, no, no way. And when they rearrange the furniture because they think they can, God says no. And as I've said before, I'm wanting to always stay real to Scripture, like as faithful as it's humanly possible. So there's attitude and there's a a desire to be held accountable. And I know... There's been a lot of discussion over the years and right now about making church more like the New Testament. Yeah, it's a thing through the, particularly the Western church. And, uh, forgive me if you will, but I, sometimes I get a little cynical around this subject. Uh, and I feel like sometimes the message that I'm hearing is I want church to be more like I want it. You know, when you get the discussion, uh, could church, why don't we do it this way or that way? I kind of feel like, actually, what you're saying is I want to do it my way. (laughs) Just the way I want it. And I'd really like church my way, and, and thanks for listening to me. You see, I'm actually really all about having our church experience true and meaningful worship and ministry for all. But that's a tough gig. That's hard. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride if you're in leadership. And uh, I just right here and now ask you to continue to pray for your leaders. Because that's when God calls you into leadership, that's hard. It's honorable, but that's tough. And sometimes tough means not easy. So God bless the leaders. Am I right? We, we need you to be praying for and encouraging. I, I spoke to one of our leaders uh, between services today and uh, the whole thing was, gee, encouragement. That's like beautiful. <laughs> Bring it on. So much needed. Uh, and when you pray, pray that they don't make good, don't pray just that they make good decisions. Pray that God leads and that leaders follow God's instructions. Because I'm not interested in a church that just does things their way. I'm interested in following God's way and finding out how that actually interacts in our culture so that we follow God and reach people. Amen? So we need, we need your engagement. We need everybody because we're all on a level playing field and it's just different roles and responsibilities, but we're all on the playing field. My summary reflection is, of course you can improve on the way we do church 100% of the time. Of course. And the Church of the New Testament remains as an awesome example of elements of meeting together that are both inspirational and spiritually sound. We want to follow that. And culture seems to be the driving force around differences across the globe. 
But there are some things you just shouldn't tamper with. When I think about this, the thing that resounds to me is we are committed to being biblical. We really want to create an atmosphere that allows people to worship openly and honestly before God and to pour out our hearts. Church history, actually, listen carefully, is a pretty awful story of atrocities and evil. Uh, There's movies made, really bad ones, maybe well acted, but the storyline is bad based on the stupidity and the uh, one-upmanship or the church saying, I will do things my way instead of following God's way. And a lot of our historical understanding of the church is based on everything the church is not. And people have, people in our society know this about the church. They know that the church has not followed God in much of what it has presented across many, many years. Now's a time for that not to happen. Amen? Now's a time that that becomes history and shall never be again because we follow God. We Do we? Do we? And so Townsville needs churches following Jesus, amen? Pouring out our heart. And the problem has been, down through the centuries, the church becomes based on rules. And when the church is based on rules, it's in trouble. And when rules trump relationship and rules become more important than God's love and forgiveness, people are in trouble. So let's not look at the church for how to do it better. Please. Let's not go anywhere, whether it's recent history or long history back into the 1100s. Let's, let's not go to the church. Let's go to the Bible. Because in the Bible, we will find the New Testament church. Let's go to the scripture for how we should do church. I believe God has done so much to empower Christians to worship him well. For example, did you know that when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you become a priest? In fact, in uh, 1 Peter 2 and 9, a chosen people and part of a royal priesthood. Isn't that beautiful? So you don't have to go to a priest. You are a priest. And did you know that when you become a Christian, the Bible also said that you become a saint? Another fact in Romans 1.7, called out and to be holy people, set apart. Our church teaches a priesthood of all believers. If you're a Christian, you're part of God's kingdom priesthood. And people want to do things their own way. How messed up is that? In fact, Jesus said, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are just rules taught by men. 
So it was going on a very long time ago. And the context for that verse is the Pharisees are going off because the disciples haven't washed their hands, which is a Pharisaic law. Something so simple. And Jesus quotes from Isaiah, which they would have known well. You see, when we start bringing in our own rules and translations and we bring our own understandings out of our historical preferences, we're messed up. So when we have a discussion about what to bring to worship, we bring the Bible. I love this. Look at this. This is just magnificent, if I can get it to work. Now I've gone too far. There. Worship in truth connects the heart or spirit of worship with the truth about God and his work of redemption as revealed in the person of Christ and the scriptures. You know, the church can do everything right. They could have all their ducks in a row. They could do all the right things every Sunday, still be offering up a worship of fools. If they miss out on one certain thing in their worship, their worship would be the worship of fools. And I want to say that that one thing is right here in Luke 11. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Wow. (laughs) Talked a lot about there being instructions and that the kings, Old Testament understandings, so often did things their own way. Talked about repentance. When there's true repentance, there will be forgiveness. And here's the the avoidance strategy for any consequence. Here's our, here's our whole heart desire to obey. Pretty simple formula. Very, very hard. Jesus said, Hear the word of God and obey it. Now, in the word of God, and and I'm going to finish up soon, in the word of God are some instructions. I love that the word of God is God's love letter to us and it's our manual for experiencing hope, joy, peace and love. So that's a manual I want to be connected to. I want to know what's in that manual. And part of that is what Jesus' primary command to Christians is. In John 15, 12, this is my commandment, Jesus says, that you, anybody fill it in for me? Love one another as I have loved you. The Bible is full of one anothering. We're not going to go through them all. That's, uh, that's going to take us. We'll have to postpone the members' meeting. 
But here's just a few. I'll give you a partial list of the one and others that are in the book of Romans. I believe there's 61 times in the uh, scriptures that it tells us to one another, one another. We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one with another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honour. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the law. Just a few more. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. And here's one that is a bit of a struggle for us with our COVID safe plan, uh, but you might like to do it outside the building. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, my point is this. Unless we one another, one another, we offer the worship of fools. I'm sorry, but that's my deduction. <laughs> I heard a story coming. If you're, a, It was about... Um, just after 6.30, when I was making my way here this morning on Live FM, uh, there was a story, and it was around counselling, as a God spot, uh, and I thought, wow, I need to use that when I'm speaking about worship this morning. Uh, he was, the speaker explained how a toddler actually learns to walk. And they, uh, the inference was, you know how a toddler just starts to stand and their feet move and they, they go all over the place, all right? If you're grandparents, I'm, I'm digging into the memory here, right? Uh, but what he said was, watch their head because the head of a toddler is like the rudder for the direction that they're going to go. Because if they're looking this way, their feet move, but eventually they kind of get around and and they head in this direction. And and if they're looking that way, their feet move eventually and they'll head in that direction. Like a rudder. So where is your head in regard to worship? Because that's where you're going to go. Because we are infants who've just gotten older. And we will go the direction of our head. So what's got your thinking? What's got your processes? And there's that other thing that it's easy for us to remember, that our head and our heart are not very far apart. So wherever our head is, there our heart will be. 
And we need our heart leading our head. So what direction are you going in regard to worship? Where's your head? That'll answer the question. I feel like God needs our whole heart. When we think of the detail for a worshipper, be it Old Testament or now, the first important part that I see that pops out of this passage is that people forget who God is. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2, God is in heaven and you are on earth. You can see it in the text, yeah? I've got it underlined. So where's God? God's in heaven and we're not. We hope to be there. Bring on the second coming. It'll be a reality. It's a promise, so it's going to happen. But in the meantime, we're not there. We're here. That means he's God and we are not. He's higher than we are. He's bigger than we are. He's smarter than we are. And the sad thing is people tend to forget that. They forget who's in charge. And whether they're into rearranging the furniture, redefining terminology, theology, filling their time up with arguments about this or that or mistreating others, they've forgotten who owns them. And they've slipped into thinking that they can play God. And what I've seen in all through scripture and ever since is that doesn't work out too well for people. God is in heaven and we are not. He gets to call the shots. We don't. Our role remains to worship and follow. Worship and follow and reach. Worship and follow. I feel like we've got that messed up sometimes. Solomon wrote, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Here's my conclusion. Worship is where you and I want to be in God's presence so badly that no building can hold him. And that's really means that the worship ought to be happening before you get here. True worship is when we have a desire and a thirst to be in God's presence. We're not afraid to be with him every moment of every day. Sundays just aren't enough time to really worship him, so we want to worship him all the time, every day. We can't wait to get some alone time so we can share our thoughts and our hopes with him. We literally can't wait to be in his presence. What a God. Amen. So let's bring our worship. We're going to have a time of communion and as, as that happens,